This is a very exciting time for us. Who is us? I'm Doe, for starters, and I have in front of me a number of students, or my classroom, or in old language, a couple thousand years ago, disciples. Those who are trying to prepare themselves for entry into the evolutionary level above human, synonymous with the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Oh yeah, my favorite podcast is the Sick and Wrong Podcast, cause it's a very good podcast, oh yeah, 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 it's a funny, 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 funny show. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your host, E. Simon. Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. Hiya. Kate Rambo, Hello. it's depressing. Halloween is over. It's officially ended. It's always Halloween in our hearts. Every day is Halloween, but but now we have to deal with the dreaded holiday season, like the real holiday season, the holidays that you have to spend with your families. Yeah, I mean... Let's. I just want to give a shout out to everyone who works in retail now, Ugh. because you have two months of Christmas songs, and I just, I would, I, would, I'm an American now. I would go out, I would go and get a gun, and I would shoot up everyone in my workplace. Well, today when we were at Cost Plus, you made that comment like, "Oh, I couldn't imagine for the next two months, months having to listen to, you know, Baby Please Come Home or All I Want for Christmas." And Them, the guy, the only Christmas songs I like. And the cashier so. just kind of rolled his eyes. Yeah, I felt, I felt something for him. Yeah, I feel some, for him. Some sympathy. Um, the only cool thing about the day after Halloween, though. Is candy corn, 50 to 70% off at Rite Aid and CVS. And you've been digging in. Oh, I love it. I love it. Though, I, I got to say, I read a very depressing article this week. That candy corn, the hallmark Halloween candy, I mean, it's, it's iconic, is falling out of favor in With the, the US. youngins. Yeah, the next generation. It's, it's a Marmite thing, though, isn't it? You either love it or you hate it. Exactly. It's very polarizing. People either love it or people hate it. But... Past few years, Americans uh, prefer gummy candy, marshmallow, chocolate candy, and chocolate in general. Chocolate in general just kills candy corn. Yeah, like if you're a chocolate or a sweet fan, I kind of go between the two worlds. But I would, I will always eat chocolate probably more than I eat sweets. Well, candy corn is an acquired taste. I I can understand why. In some people, it's like way too sweet for them. Well, I remember I sent. Gino, who's a patron, I sent him some candy corn, and I think he was just like, it's the devil's food. <laughs> well, it's just pure sugar. I mean, it's, it's like, like pure marzipani. diabetes. It's like just eating, like a, you know, like a, taking a diabetes pill. It is delicious, though. But the six weeks leading up to uh, um, Halloween, candy corn sales have steadily declined year after year since 2018, hitting a low of 12.7 million units last year. That was I- it. You guys don't have Jamie Oliver, but I'm blaming Jamie Oliver for this. You mean John Oliver or Jamie Oliver? Jamie Oliver, Who's, who's Jamie Oliver? Oh, the Jamie chef. Oliver's the fat, fucking pretentious twatty chef who named his child like Honey Boo Boo Bear, blah, blah, blah. But he has ruined British food because he took away our turkey Twizzlers. 
He took them away from us, and then he took away the sugar in um our like our pop drinks. So all the drinks in Britain now don't have sugar in. Well, you guys and aren't allowed to have them. corn syrup. Well, yeah, whatever to the corn syrup, but sugar like a pop without sugar in it tastes like absolute shit. I've not been able to enjoy Iron Brew because of Jamie Oliver because the new sweeteners that they put in, which I'm convinced, uh, I sound like what's that woman? I sound like um oh. Are you going to name another obscure British person? Yeah, I was about to. I can't remember her name. Has any fucking clue who you're talking about? But please go on. Um, Yeah, (laughs) like all the sweeteners give me really bad heartburn. So I've not been able to enjoy a can of Iron Brew since Jamie fucking Oliver took away all the sugar. And that was my hangover cure for years. So I had to suffer through some hangovers because of that fucking fat cunt. I would love to skin him alive. Yeah, but is Gatorade better? I mean, Gatorade's the best I love, hangover cure. Yeah, I love Gatorade Zero because LucasAid Orange Spot, which used to also be a hangover cure, guess what? Since the sugar got taken out of that, tastes like shit. Well, then wait, why don't you drink Gatorade with sugar if you like sugar so much? No, because Gatorade Zero doesn't taste like shit. It tastes good. Yeah, and there's no sugar. So 12.7 million units last year and it was approximately two weeks ago. Candy Corn only sold 5.3 this year. Really? That's like half. Yeah, that's not, it's not good. But despite the dip in sales, Candy Corn's still in the top 10 confection picks for Halloween. So What's that's, that's kind of nice. Um, it did take first place in Utah. So number one's uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Oh, I'm not the fan, biggest fan of Reese's. I that's really... the biggest Halloween candy. I don't like the chocolate on Reese's. Butterfingers are far superior. I prefer Butterfingers to Reese's too. Uh, M&M's next. Nice. Hot Tamales now coming in at number three. Oh, okay. Skittles at number four. No, I, right, I, I don't get this love of Skittles. I can't even eat Skittles. It's like you're eating them for 200 years. Your jaw hurts. Yeah, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of Skittles either, and that's like that's like pure sugar. It could be good for your teeth. Um, let's see, Sour Patch Kids after Skittles like and them. Starburst and Hershey's Kisses, then candy corn. Aww. But candy corn's above Snickers. A Snickers is a classic, though. A Snickers will never go anywhere. You can you can also get a Snickers all year long. But the thing is, though, Snickers is still in the chocolate category. Yeah, there's actually not very many sweets in that. What is the the hot tamales, the sour patch kids, and candy corn? Are they Skittles, only Starburst, and Scott again? Yeah, candy Skittles. corn. But you know the thing is the candy corn. They keep trying to like branch out with all these novel flavors. You know, like the autumnal mix. I love the autumnal mix. Yeah, it's, you got the brown candy corn. You know, the brown and orange one. Then they make Easter candy corn. I think they're trying to make it uh, appealing to like the next generation. But I think, uh, you know, the kids today just are not into candy corn. No, it's not the kids. It's the parents. It's the woke parents who are like, my child will never eat sugar. They shan't have sugar. It's like, well, I hope your kid shoots up a school because they've never been allowed to have sugar and they're now an incel. Well, it's probably that, but it's also kind of like they look at what's in candy corn. It's just described as chemical with hints of artificial vanilla, caramelized sugar and corn syrup. Yeah, which is, and also you can't get candy corn in Britain, as I found out, because one of the ingredients is a carcinogenic. Yeah, I'm not, and it's not surprised, but it's still my favorite fucking Halloween fucking candy. Delicious. And if I was offered unlimited candy corn pumpkins, yeah, but I'd have to join some weird cult, Here we go. wear black Nike shoes, listen are. to some old weirdo telling me about like the kingdom of God is in a spaceship that's attached to the tail of, a, of the Hale-Bopp comet. I think I'd probably do it. And, Unlimited candy corn. And I mean, they, they loved uh, their sweets. They had a sweet tooth. Yeah. And I love candy corn that much. Um, how's that for a segue? 
That was an amazing segue. Isn't that good? I'm, I'm you didn't even see where that was going, did you? I, I totally knew, and I'm looking forward to the patron segue as well. Well, that's coming up. <laughs> um, anyway, this past weekend, Kate and I kind of, I guess the culmination of our Halloween month, uh, we went to San Diego to go see Rocket from the Crips Halloween show, which was amazing. And we talk about it in full detail, along with all the other things we did um, uh, for over Halloween and in San Diego in particular on the second show. Um, but one thing I do want to mention here, no trip to San Diego would be complete without visiting the Heaven Gate Suicide Mansion. Even though it's not technically in San Diego, it's in Rancho Santa Fe. Yeah. and That's only 30 minutes away. And you've also been to San Diego a million times and you've never once been out to the... <laughs> to no, you know... I I've often, I just kind of forgot that that happened in San Diego. Yeah, I yeah. thought it I for some reason I thought it happened like in like Temecula or somewhere further away. Yeah. I didn't uh, realize that until we talk about this in the second show too, but we went to a couple of really cool bars and restaurants in the South oh, yeah. Park area of San, San Diego. One in particular was this like weird space themed bar. Like from the outside I didn't even know what it was. And we were walking by and there's like some woman just kind of standing there. Didn't look like she was a hostess or anything. She was just kind of standing there. And I asked her, I was like, what is this place? Like a theater? Because it had like this quote and a spaceship outside. Yeah, said, was it called Mother? S- something like that. Mother. Like Mother, Mothership or something. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, you know, what is this? Like a theater? She goes, no, it's a bar. I'm like, oh, it's, it's a like bar. It's a tiki bar. Yeah. And I was like, oh. And so we went, we went in to go check it out. And it's really fucking cool. Like it's all space, like something out of like Star Trek, like the holodeck and just... It, yeah, it was super cool. And we were sitting there ordering tiki drinks. And while I was there, I was like, you know, this reminds me of Heaven's Gate. And then you said, well, Heaven's Gate, was, didn't that happen here? And, yeah, and so we looked it up and it turned out it's like Branch of Santa Fe. So I was like, we got to go check this out. We got to go check out the mansion. And so we did on the way back to, uh, to L.A. Um, but the thing is with Heaven's Gate, it is weird that a lot of people have completely forgotten about it. Well, I wouldn't say forgotten. I definitely like because we were talking to your neighbors about it, and your neighbors They'd are never both late twenties, born. Yeah, that's like, true. And, yeah, we, we didn't um, like Ray say I was born in ninety seven. Yeah, <laughs> I guess like... she, she probably never would have known about it. But I mean, I was fascinated by it. I was also a junior in college when it oh, happened. Oh, perfect. Yeah, and so, but I mean, this cult committed mass suicide, nineteen ninety seven, where black, like uh, you know, they had like a a specific fashion choice, like black Nike. Sneakers, Sneakers, Classic. It covered in purple shrouds. Um, you know, they, they were the first internet cult. They are. The first one to use uh, the uh, to use the internet as a recruiting tool. Because, I mean, it was such a novel invention at that time. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, this week on the show, uh, we're going to dive deep into uh, some details here about this bizarre cult that a lot of people like... You know, might not be fully aware of, might know about it, but there's a lot of things I didn't even know. Like, I didn't... Marshall Applewhite. I didn't know about his sexual preferences. Oh, and how perverted he was. But I mean, name a cult leader that isn't like a sex crazed lunatic. They all kind of are. That's true, but I don't know how many are homosexual. Uh, well, he's a not, fair few. Actually, yeah, I'm going to take that back. I was going to say Marshall Applewhite was bi, but he's definitely gay. I think he's a repressed. Yeah, whereas uh, like obviously Jim Jones was bisexual as the day is long. I mean, he was fucking men and women. And yes, I will be mentioning Jim Jones. I'm sorry to everyone. And also it's Jonestown month. So just it, ignore me for the whole It can't month. be an episode of Sick and Wrong without at least one mention of Jim Jones. He's my daddy. <laughs> That's all Kate talks about. You're, I'm just talking about, you guys just have to listen to it on the podcast. I have to listen to it in real life every day, Jim Jones. 
At least once a day. At least once a day. Uh, we also kind of get into the ridiculous cost of a pair of unworn Heaven Gate black Nikes. Yeah. If you could find one on eBay, they're worth a lot of money. You should pick one up. Anyway, before we get into that, let's chat about something much more entertaining and way less demanding. The cult known as the sick and wrong patron. I love it. Thank you it to all the cult. patrons. It's kind of a cult. It is a cult. It's I a love cult of all sick the and patrons. Um, and, and the thing is, we're not going to ask you to commit mass suicide. We're not going to tell you something about it. Well, we might tell you something about a spaceship that's attached to a comet. But we're not going to ask you to commit suicide. All yes. we're going to ask is that you sign up for the sick and wrong patron. $5 a month. Support the show. I mean, you get access to the sick and wrong second show. I don't think any of the Heaven's Gate people had something that cool. Well, they would disagree with that. Maybe. Um, but anyway, this week on Second Show, uh, we chat about the Halloween weekend in San Diego in great detail. We, we talk about uh, checking out Rocket from the Crypt, some of the other things we did there. Uh, we also kind of get into uh, checking out Rain and Terror, the uh, the, oh, the so huge good. haunted house, yeah. Southern California's huge, like largest haunted house, as well as the Halloween night we spent with our two lesbian neighbors in uh, West Hollywood. It was so much fun. That, that Halloween night. And uh, yeah, and West Hollywood was great. It's the first time they've done it in four years because of uh, the pandemic. So that's only $5 a month. You get access to Sick and Wrong Patron and access to the official uh, uh, Discord. You don't even have to sign up for Patron to get access to the second show. You can go to Apple Podcasts now and subscribe that way. Also, for a few dollars more, you can get access to some of the bonus features on uh, Patreon, like Sick and Wrong Overkill, Serial Killer Star Signs, as well as the archives. You've got the first 10 years of uh, Sick and Wrong available on Patreon. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Sign up today. We do really appreciate the support. So let me play this quick promo and then uh, let's chat about the ET cult known as Heaven's Gate. Hey, sick and wrong listeners. If you're not currently a sick and wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. Was she like hovering on top of you, like masturbating yourself and spraying it out? <laughs> Or were you no, fucking was, her and then it like was, just got all over? I was thing I was like fingering her and that's how she was like getting off. And was um, it just spraying like evil dead style? That's what I'm imagining. That's what I'm picturing. No, it wasn't crazy, but like you could tell it would like it got pretty wet. Like a boot in like mud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know that sloshing sound. You can tell. Yeah, like, like when you stir mac and cheese. Yeah, more, yeah. Right. more or less. It's the same kind of same kind of sound. But that's tasty. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so then you shagged her a few times did you sneak out in the middle of the night or did you wait for her to cook you some shrimp breakfast <laughs> she, she, a shrimp uh, omelet <laughs> for only five dollars a month you can enjoy these special moments a bonus news story extra phone calls and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sick and wrong sign up today support the show and keep it sick and wrong. But don't you ever think so in the late 60s, uh, religious uh, affiliations were just like another husk of the old society to be shed in preparation for the Aquarian Age. And alongside various movements and general, you know, for civil disobedience, which ran riot through those two decades, very exciting time, it left the door wide open for spiritual leaders and seekers to find their way. So what Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Lou Nettles didn't know in the early 70s was that their group, which they named The Crew, would find a higher calling sooner or later, or that they would be the first religious cult of the internet as well. And I mentioned this before, but they were the first cult to use the internet as a recruitment tool. 
and the first like well-known American cult of the internet error because they use that technology specifically to share their beliefs with a wider audience and also, you know, to make a living. Yeah, it's That's, a very interesting aspect of they're, Heaven's They're Gate. a tech cult. Yeah, they are. So I'm, I'm also, we're not going to do like a full history of Heaven's Gate either for like everyone who thinks we're going to like just do it from beginning to end. We're not. We're going to kind of share all the juicy parts. We're going to highlight some of the more interesting details about yeah. that cult. Because there are way better podcasts who do like ten part miniseries. Oh yeah, no, I mean that's the thing. You can do you can do like a deep analysis of this cult over like a span of ten episodes. I mean, you could do a season on. Heaven's oh, easily, Gate. yeah. But we don't do that here at Sick and Wrong. We just talk about the good shit. Yeah. So Marshall and Bonnie had met when he was doing a stint in a nut house. He was actually in there trying to cure his homosexuality, and she was the nurse, and she's obviously handing out helpful advice and possibly hand jobs. Although I did read this quote um, by a surviving member of Heaven's Gate who said that when Marshall first met Bonnie, he actually didn't like her. And there wasn't like a real like he didn't feel this like spiritual connection until like a few days later. And then when he said he felt this spiritual connection with her, he knew that they were linked. But he didn't like her to begin with. Well, they were both going through some uh, some issues yes. in their personal lives. Oh, yeah. So I think they definitely connected over that. So he's a divorced music professor. She's a married mother of four, and she's going to leave her marital home for Marshall. And for the next two decades, originally under the names Bo and Peep, later they became T and Doe. They sometimes referred to themselves as the two. They roamed Southern California. They were recruiting members into their flock. Bonnie does die in 1985, but Bo, Marshall, Applewhite, we're going to call him all three throughout this episode, uh, on her legacy, she's going to see him take 39 other people, some of them all ballless to the grave of him. <laughs> so their theology, in very simple terms, it marries end of times Christianity with science fiction. So they're not of this world. They had come from a level beyond human, higher than Earth, to inhabit bodies here. But soon, a spaceship's going to show up to take a new cargo of souls to the higher level. The next level. Now, this was happening in the 70s, and they're not the only religion at the time to fuse like science fiction with, you know, religion. Yeah. Look at uh, the Dianetics, look at Scientology. Um, It was definitely kind of a trend at the time. But this particular cult uh, took its philosophy from uh, Applewhite's Presbyterian upbringing. Like, so his father was a minister, and he essentially just grafted his belief in extraterrestrials right onto Christian theology, just kind of stacked it right on top of it. I mean, he told his followers that he was the second coming of Jesus Christ, that God was an alien, and that they were living in the end times. Uh, They read the Bible, especially the book of Revelation, chapter 11, um, and there was a section about two witnesses that would prophesy the end of the world. And at the end of their prophecy, they would have to battle demons which Applewhite and Nettles called the Luciferians. Fucking awesome. Yeah, it's a great name. I want to be in a band called the Luciferians. <laughs> On March the 26th, 1997, Sheriff Deputy Robert Brunk responded to an anonymous 911 call that reported a mass suicide at um, a Rancho Santa Fe mansion. The call came from former cult member Rio DeAngelo, and his real name is Richard Ford. I love Rio, though. It's a great name. Rio's an awesome name. His name is Rio, and he... Used to be in a cult. <laughs> so Applewhite had told him to leave the cult a month beforehand because Rio is going to be the one to hand deliver the videotapes that describes the cult's journey to the entire world. 
And we have like um, a little clip from um, Sheriff Deputy Robert Brunkier. And he's describing how he like went about the house and like the state of the bodies when he found them. On my way to the call, I was kind of trying to, in my mind, contemplate how I'm going to tell the people that I'm, the residents that I'm going to, hey, the reason I'm here (laughs) is because somebody, I think it's a prank or something like that. And when I went up the driveway, that's when things started just changing a little bit, let's say. You start feeling something's not right. Just so happened that the last door that I came to was uh, like a side entry door into the residence, and they had left that unlocked. You almost start to get tunnel vision, but then you started seeing the bodies everywhere because there was a, a room next to the foyer that they just had bunk beds out, and then there were cots and just bodies everywhere. Now, what was strange for us is that they're covered up. I mean, everybody's dressed in a black Nike jumpsuit with Nike shoes, and they've got a purple shroud over their head, and they've got a patch that says Heaven's Gate Away Team on the side. Yeah, it's it's that. I think that's the thing, the takeaway that everyone has in this cult is everyone was wearing these black Nike sneakers. We're going to get to yeah. how iconic their fashion choices were in a bit. So in all, 39 members, 21 women and 18 men of various ages, they had poisoned themselves in an elaborate ritual that had actually been planned for years. So in a little blue blinder that was found at the scene, it detailed how the members killed themselves in stages. 15 classmates, 8 assistants, then 15 more with 8 assistants helping each other. You know, it's interesting. Applewhite was late death. Not the last one to die, though. He was in the second group. Yeah, the second yeah. group. So they called this the routine. This is what the, in the document outlined this process with a group of 15 people who'd kill themselves assisted by eight other people. And then a second group of 15 would die also assisted by eight people. So given that 39 victims were found, that would have left the final group of nine. Yeah, um, one of the members, I think it's uh, Leodi, she was the registered nurse. So she, they, they like, no one will know who died last, but they reckon that she was the she last, was the last to die because she was the only registered nurse. So she could definitely that makes sense that everyone had died. So the followers, they did work in the small groups to assist other suicides, and they're essentially taking turns, right? Once their breathing had slowed, a plastic bag would be placed over their heads, and they did have very good uh, suicide rates. I think it was out of the 39, 37 of them died of the poisoning, and two of them died by asphyxiation. So that's a pretty high rate. They planned it well. And once they had died, obviously the purple shroud was placed over their faces. So that's why you need the other people, because who's going to put the shroud over there? Exactly. So former San Diego County Sheriff Office lead detective Rick Scully said, they were some dedicated people. To stand over the person they'd lived with for 20 years and watch them die after they took the poison, the person standing over them would be the only person to know if they had any regrets or if they had a hard time or they struggled. Now we'll never know. Yeah, I mean, all that's lost now. I mean, we have no, there's no eyewitnesses, really. No. So they had planned their death in three waves, and they followed a recipe for suicide. Most had this actual recipe in the pocket. It said to eat the applesauce or the pudding that was loaded with barbiturates, wash it down with a bit of vodka, and then put the plastic bag over their heads, or the assistant would help them do this, as they drifted off out of their vehicles, and they re-emerged, renewed, and refreshed on Hale-Bop Comet. <laughs> but why was it Hale-Bop Comet? Well, for those sci-fi and Star Trek nerds, 
And they really were Star Trek nerds because one of the 39 victims was Thomas Nichols, the brother of Nichelle Nichols. And she's the actress who played, um, I am going to butcher it because I don't watch Star Uhura. Trek. Uhura? Yeah, Lieutenant Uhura. She I know was who one of the she looks famous, like. Yeah. But I'm not a Star, Star Trek nerd. OG Star Trek characters. So they believe that God was an advanced alien and he's traveling in a spaceship in the trail of the Hale-Bopp comet and that he planned to soon recycle the Earth. It's an impending recycling of the Earth. You know, it's interesting. We looked up, because at first I thought it was, the, was Halley's Comet. I always thought it was Halley's yeah. Comet as well. But that but was when was Halley's Comet? again not that long ago i think that one comes like every 76 years right yeah whereas uh the hale bop comet has this crazy orbit like around the sun takes 2533 years for us to see that again so if you didn't get to see it in 97 you're never gonna see it yeah i do remember like the hale bop um like fever about getting to see it and then yeah, it was a, a major couple of years deal. later was the huge eclipse as well in fact wasn't there an eclipse in 97 I, I can't. Think there remember, was. I can't remember that, yeah, but there, the eclipses are obviously much more frequent than uh, comet sightings. Still cool though. But yeah, this cult was a total science fiction cult. I mean, they they brought a lot of imagery from it and their outfits and everything. But Applewhite and Nettles were huge fans of Star Wars and Star Trek and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and they brought like this sci- these sci fi elements to the group, resulting in theories. Like that Mary had been taken aboard a spaceship and that's where she was impregnated with Jesus. Oh, so Jesus was an alien and not a Jew. Yeah, Jesus was an alien. God's oh. an alien. Oh. So they took Makes her up on a sense. ship, God stooped her, and then that's where Jesus came from. It also led to the members that would eventually kill themselves to wear patches that said Heaven, Heaven's Gate Away Team, which you can see in the group's farewell video. And that's a reference to the specialized crew that went on missions to alien planets in Star Trek. Oh, why would it say Star Trek Away Team? Yeah. Heaven, uh, actually, I think it said Heaven's Gate's Away Team. No, but would Star Trek's Away Team say star trek away team. yeah it's like the star trek away team when they went to so the different planet. planets yeah. yeah i'm like well definitely an homage i'm not like a star trek nerd although i have seen a lot of the movies because i went out with um, a boyfriend who fucking loved star trek so like i get some of the references but it's just not for me oh i, lo- I love both of those both star trek and star wars no i only like the one star wars star movie. wars Star Wars, I'm not as into now because it's oversaturated. There's just, I just so like many. The, I can't keep up with it anymore. I but wish I loved it as a kid. I wish he just made one Star Wars movie. Just the first movie is oh, perfect. You're I full don't of need any more. Empire no. Strikes Back. No, by it's far the best. Overrated. For the win, Empire. <laughs> Fucking Billy D. Williams. Write in and let us know your opinions because the first Star, Star Wars movie is the best. It's it's great. I'm not saying it's not. It's just Empire Strikes Back is just a better movie. It's not. It's not. It is. <laughs> so the group commits suicide so that they could ascend to the evolutionary level above human. And it's all very, very x filey to me. And like Mulder, the group really did believe. No, they did. Oh, fuck they, yeah. They fully believe. They're very dedicated. And so according to the BBC, the members were originally told that they would be able to exit their containers without resorting to suicide. So that wasn't orig- the original plan. No, it wasn't. But we'll get into why that changed. Yeah. Um, they said they had been, they hoped to be beamed up into space, taking their bodies with them into the next level as members called their version. That's what they called the afterlife, the next level. And so in the mid eighties, things change. Applewhite kind of, uh, started teaching that they would be given a new body in the next level so that their, their, you know, physical bodies wouldn't be necessarily going with them. 
And so then the group acknowledged, I guess death might be necessary. If we're going to get on the alien spacecraft, I think we may need to shed this mortal coil. Yeah, this body. So the nerds that actually made up the cult, they actually helped create a good income, enough to rent a mansion in a Rancho Santa Fe, enough to go gambling at the Strat in Vegas, where they gambled, they ate at the buffets, they rode roller coasters, enough to do enjoy day trips to SeaWorld, Mexico, and San Diego's Wild Animal Park. And as they are celibate and their teetotalers, they had to fund their addiction to sugar and processed carbs in the form of syrup, cookies, soda, pizza, and ice cream. And actually, when the bodies were discovered, there was also seven quarts of Starbucks Java chip in the freezer. And I had to look up what Java chip Starbucks ice cream is. And it sounds fucking nice. I haven't even heard it. I didn't even know they had ice cream. They must have had, had hmm. them back then. So somehow they actually managed to do all of this by web design. Like that was the main source of income. And this was still in its infancy in 1997. We're going to get more into like the, the tech side later. But that kind of makes sense though, because how many web developers even existed at that time? They're all in heaven's it's such a new, But it's such a new technology that I think everybody would be like, I mean, they kind of got, you know, cornered the market here. The cult members were also not readers. In fact, they were assigned seating near the 72-inch television where only approved shows could be watched. So some approved movies include it, Chain Reaction with Keanu Reeves, one of the worst films ever made. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that. It's shite, don't bother. The Frighteners with Michael J. Fox, good movie. Yeah. And Eddie, which starred Whoopi Goldberg, which I've never seen. Banned movies included GoldenEye. What? The Island of uh, Dr. Moreau, <laughs> and Multiplicity, which starred Michael Keaton. So only the now-dead cult members know why certain films were banned or why they were approved. So you know, it's interesting that the television seating arrangement correlated to the hierarchy within the cult. Of course it did, because you would just be like, I want to sit, sit next to Daddy Applewhite so badly. But Applewhite's got the best seat, the beanbag chair right in front of the TV. Everybody else is like way in the back. Yeah, oh my God. If you've been naughty, you get assigned to the learning crew and you have to go at the very, very back. So science fiction shows were good, like X-Files, yeah, obviously. Star Trek Voyager, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, maybe because they saw themselves like spending their futures in space, but like James Bond movies, that Michael Keaton movie where uh, apparently he cloned himself several times in multiplicity. We should watch it. I I've really love seen Michael that one. Keaton. Same, same me. Yeah. I love him. Um, but yeah, I guess the programming they're encouraged to watch was a vehicle for mind control. Oh. So once they call it discipline, you know, only they called it discipline, organization, and self improvement. But it kind of made sense. They don't want to. S similar to like Scientology, you're not allowed to go to a therapist. Right, yeah. Or go to a psychiatrist. Yeah, don't want to get those synapses firing in your brains, no. No. want to keep or you very calm. Some other, you know, an alternative way of thinking. They yeah. don't want that. No. <laughs> you need to be programmed, your mind, need to be, your mind needs to be open to that. So aside from the few books which was found alongside the dead, which was mainly copies of Marshall's rambling manifesto and get a load of this. Only men write manifestos and I'm sick of it. And get a load of this fucking title of this manifesto. How and when Heaven's Gate, the door to physical kingdom above human, may be entered. Well, that makes sense, though. It's but why is a manifesto never just written? Like, you know, Mein Kampf, great name for a manifesto. Short, snappy, iconic. I'm never going to remember this. Yeah, but I think that's what he, that's what everyone wants to know, though. How do we get into Heaven's Gate? And plus, you could be like, how and when Heaven's Gate may be entered. Um, that could be like a porno film. Well, why don't you just call <gasps> it... My porno name is going to be Heaven's Kate. 
I don't know if that works. Heaven's Gate and how she might be entered. Well, Heaven's, I guess maybe. Yeah. But he could have just called it Heaven's Gate, and then the subtitle could have been the how, yes. you know how to enter the door to the physical kingdom. I'm going to start referring to my pussy as Heaven's Gate. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> So alongside these shitty books um, are the now infamous videotapes, which were made one day before the mass suicides uh, were to begin. After making the tapes where they explain why, how and goodbye. And I watched all of these tapes this week and I've watched loads of Marshall rambling on as well because there's quite a lot on YouTube. They did enjoy a trip to the local pizza parlor, which set them back $417.27. And then this was followed by a movie. They went to go and see Secret and Lies, where they guzzled down $75 worth of soda pop, of pop. But in their final farewell meal the weekend before, they ate 39 identical turkey pot pie dinners with side salads with a tomato vinaigrette, iced tea, and blueberry cheesecake for dessert. I love that we have this information about their food. Yeah, I'm glad they. Uh, yeah, I'm glad they uh, went into detail about that. But who covered the bill? Like, did Marshall have the credit card that everyone used? No, they had. The, I can't remember which member it was, but one of the members was the treasurer, and they were very, very to the point. They were even counting the money on the last day. Okay, so like they had like gone. a CFO that would handle all the. Oh costs. yeah, they were very like they knew where all their money was going. They even when they're in Mexico, some one of them gave two dollars to like a beggar, and they write that down. It's like two dollars gone out, two beggar, Mexico. Wow, very meticulous. Yes. So yeah, a week ago, uh, or a week before their uh, suicides, um, they uh, went out for a last supper, and that's what you were just talking about. But it was at a Marie Callender's restaurant in Carlsbad. So Carlsbad's. I'm not really a suburb of San Diego. It's, I guess, it's kind of near. It's the next city north of Rancho Santa Fe. Right. We drove by it. So what's a Marie Callender's? I'd say a Marie Callender's kind of like an Applebee's. Is it Just like, a generic chain like restaurant. Is it a Cheesecake Factory? Yeah. Marie right. Callender's a lot like a Cheesecake Factory. I think Cheesecake Factory probably has more expansive of a menu. Right. But Marie Callender's kind of tries to be like, Home-style cooking. It's just American home-style cooking. Okay, okay. It's, it's similar to an Applebee's. But they did. They all ordered the exact same thing, a waiter said um, uh, to the BBC. And it was set up before they came in. Like, it was planned. They all had iced teas to drink, dinner salads beforehand, tomato vinegar dressing, turkey pot pie for the entree, cheesecake with blueberries on top for the dessert. Uh, she said they seemed very nice, very friendly, very very polite. No one seemed depressed at all or anything like that. I'd be depressed. Just a turkey pot pie? Like, that's what I get? I'd be like, don't we have any vegan options, Marshall? Come <laughs> I'm on, I'm a vegetarian, man. man. Come on. You would never eat you a pie. You always forget that. Yeah. You would never eat a pie. And you'd be at the back because you complain. Oh, I would be. I'd be. I'd be in the back while we were watching. Was that chain reaction? <laughs> the frightness. <laughs> Such meals weren't uncommon for the frugal no-fucks, so a typical menu would consist of a breakfast of hot cereal with raisins, the rabbi's favorite, and um, and some bread, you know, they would have some toast. They would have lunch of a salad, Swedish meatballs, mashed potatoes, corn, and dinner rolls, and all washed down with iced tea. And in the evening, it was going to be a smaller dinner. So this is a very 1960s menu. In the 1960s, you have your big meal for your lunch, and then at nighttime, you would have a small meal. And People they would- probably should do that, though. I think it makes sense. Um, I never used to think that way, but over the years as I've gotten older and I'm reaching more to my geriatric years, I'm like, yeah, you don't want to eat your big dinner late at night. No, right before you go to bed. Because then you go to bed, you can't, you know, eat in the middle of the day. 
And then, yeah, so at nighttime they would have a small, like, sandwich with pickles and chips, crisps for the British crew, and, of course, lots of soda. So this sounds a lot better than the free months when they actually drank nothing but the master cleanse, which was a mixture of lemonade, cayenne pepper, and maple syrup. Hello, Beyonce. It's very utilitarian of them. It's very bland and practical. But I am digressing on their food. I just love that this information is out there. So I didn't know that, actually, that they were... Your rabid devotees of the master cleanse. I actually didn't know that the master cleanse went back that far because, like, obviously, when Beyonce kind of did it all and like brought it back into the public zeitgeist, I kind of thought, oh, it's like a modern thing. You know, I've never done it, but people, I've no, don't, dated, cl- don't. No, do. I dated a couple girls that had done it, and they're extremely irritable. Like, no. I couldn't imagine you doing it. The complaining would be. At like in insane levels. It's junk science. Detoxing and cleansing is all junk science on your body. You should never do it. I it's work ridiculous. with a, I work with a, one of the managers is a big cleanse person, and yeah. you can tell when she's cleansing because she gets really like her fuse is really short. Um, but yeah, so the cult members were asked not only to abandon their family and turn over all their money, but they're asked to cleanse their bodies of the impure influence of things like fast food and impure sexual thoughts. And so that involved things like the Master Cleanse, which was invented in the 1940s. No way. Yeah, by uh, Stanley Burroughs. And then it was republished in 1976 in his book, The Master Cleanser. So it became trendy again in the 70s. 70s. I can see that because there's a lot of outdated attitudes to food in the 1970s. So cult member uh, Rio D'Angelo I uh, told Newsweek that the group took it much farther than the diet's other, like, Southern California acolytes. Uh, they drank nothing but the mix of lemonade, cayenne pepper, and maple syrup for three entire months, which most people only do it for about a month. Oh, my God. I just couldn't do that. You'd be so sick of it. Could you imagine? I, I don't know if I have the discipline. I might be able to do it. But, you know, that's part of being in the cult, isn't it? Like, we have the discipline. the mind control. And the mind control, and we're all together in this thing together. It's setting us we're from We're suffering them. together. It's kind of that yeah. communal suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Also in the pockets of the black trackies that adorned the dead cultist was $5 and three quarters exactly because that's how much admission into Heaven's Gate was. Along with their IDs, they had all packed a duffel bag to take with them for their journey. Obviously, they're not taking it fucking anywhere. And Nike's going to enter the controversial cult history books for the Nike decade. So this is a running shoe and it was selected by Marshall Applewhite himself. No one knows why. And there are these Reddit posts from a former Nike salesman, apparently, who claims that he sold 39 pairs the day before the suicides began. But this has been debunked. Yeah, right. He likely, he likely bought them because he could get a good deal by buying them bulk and they complimented the black tracksuits. And they actually got the shoes like you can see from like the ledgers, the way they kept them money they got the shoes like ages before they even started the suicides they didn't buy it the day before no but it's true though um you know the surviving members all said that the shoes were purchased in bulk because their cost not the style yeah and they are ugly shoes so after the death hit the headlines nike did what any major corporation would do when confronted with a brand damaging mass tragedy (laughs) they doubled down They discontinued the decades line. Their only response to this day is that it was a tragedy and they had nothing to do with it. 
By pulling the design, however, they have made the sneakers collector items original pairs now sell for around six grand on eBay. And the only reason they sell for such a high price is because 39 corpses were found wearing them. And again, I am reiterating that they're pretty fucking ugly shoes and I would want to die if I was wearing them. Yeah, they just look like these generic like old man, like senior citizen sneakers. They're not good shoes. But I wonder if you can have a pair custom made. Well, you can custom make your own Nikes and yeah, Adidas can. So on I the wonder, website. Yeah, I wonder if they would custom make a pair of decades for you. I bet you could try, but I don't see why. They're really ugly shoes. But Nike did not appreciate the free advertising whatsoever. Um, Nike rep here, Jim Small, told Adweek in 97, you know, we've all heard the jokes. The Heaven's Gate incident was a tragedy, and it had nothing to do with Nike. It wasn't sponsored by us. <laughs> we promise. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the, as I was saying before, they were purchasing bulk because they got a good deal. Like yeah. They were able to get a good deal on them. It was a combination of factors that made the sale happen, but it's not because of a particular model or brand or look. It was just, I can get these in bulk and it's cost effective. And I think that's kind of what their mentality was. I mean, oh, they're completely. very frugal. Yeah, they weren't thinking that we're giving Nike some free advertising by no. doing this at all. So Saturday Night Live actually jumped at the chance for a skit and recognizing that it did look like an ad campaign. The pictures do look like ad campaigns. <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs> they splashed Nike's motto, just do it, across the images, and they created a meme for the gallows before memes even existed. <laughs> so in 2008, Nike-sponsored skateboarder Todd Jordan said he had designed a pair of Nike SB Dunk Highs in a black-white-purple colorway as a homage to the uniforms of the cult members and the purple sheets that were placed over them during the suicide nike canceled the release (laughs) what an idiot but their departing outfits really helped create the look for a faceless and bland cult like heaven's gate um i'm probably gonna butcher this guy's name alex escalipo escalipio yeah it's spanish a writer and phd candidate who had a focus on fashion and sociology instead of uniforms it shows you're not alone and you belong to a group it becomes your new identity and it really signals a new start well, that's true. I mean, they, they were a cult with branding in a fashion sense. Like, did the Branch Davidians have particular outfits? No, but, like, when you think of, like, the cults, like, we will get into a little bit of it, but the Branch Davidians were definitely denim. Blue denim is what I think of. Maybe because... Uh, Koresh. Uh, Koresh wore that. But did everyone... Like, what did all the, you know, the... Uh, you were Jim Jones, um, The People's Church or People's Temple or whatever. What did they wear? Well, like, so yeah, when you think of like Manson, you think of hippies and Jim Jones is like really lurid, like polyester fabrics. But the pe- but did the people have a specific attire? No, you didn't in have the Jim church. Jones okay. down. Right. Like. So Heaven Gate, their fashion was used to suppress sexual desire. Both genders were required to dress exactly the same in same androgynous clothing, which is going to sound kind of very similar to what the kids are wearing now so it's jeans and jewelry that's forbidden and the outfit of every day of the week was long-sleeved shirts buttoned up fully oversized as well might I add black pants and very short shaved hair for men and women men and women Hmm. this showed the control that Apple White had over his followers because he's basically wiping out their identity before he's going to wipe out their existence all rules of conduct were kept in a thick procedures book, which enforced a 7.22 a.m. vitamin intake time, which direction to shave with your razor, and the proper circumference for pancakes. Everything is monitored. 
You're going to share a bed with two other people. You're going to go to the bathroom with other people. And the, all of this all has its own rules as well. Well, I think that's part of it. Their dogma was everything had to be precisely the same. Uh, surviving member Michael Conyers said, everything was designed to be an exact duplicate. You're not to come up with, um, well, I'm going to make the pancakes this big. There was a mixture, a size, how long you could cook it on one side, how, how much the burger was on, how many a person got, how the syrup was poured on it, everything. Um, Conyers said that even male members had to shave their faces in a specific way. Wow. It's just yeah, too it was much, all right? controlled. Yeah, it's like being in jail. I've worse. Rules are implemented with the belief that they were for a new disciplined life on an alien spacecraft, but in reality, it is a way to keep members very ob- obedient and subservient to you. But, but that's a common tactic right. for cults. You know, if a leader wants to convince members to do something as extreme as committing suicide, you know, they had to replace their entire belief structure with the belief structure of the cult. Yeah. They, they had to be indoctrinated. Yeah. And that's what happened. Uh, cults say, like, you have to break out of your Western mentality. This is David Sullivan, uh, Sullivan, a private investigator who specializes in cult deprogramming. He said, you're too judgmental. You have to abandon your whole psychological intellectual framework and then your, and your obsessive materialism that you've been holding on to your whole life is blocking you from seeing the truth. And I think that's what they do. Right, So yeah. you're all dressing the same, you're wearing the same sneakers, you have the same haircut because that's blocking you from the truth. And I, I do think it bonds you together. It definitely does. Like, especially, you know, I'm just thinking back from my crew, like in my last job, we were a crew and like our managers didn't wear the same uniform as us. So because we're all in a uniform together, it's already a you and us situation. Well, I think, right? it, it, well, it's like this group mindset. I think it yeah. aids in the indoctrination. Because now you're this group that has a bond. Yeah. And, and you look the same, you talk you're the bonded same, you through eat that. the same. Yeah. yeah. Another central part of this very unsexy uniform, which is in sharp contrast to, say, like the long-haired, braless yeah. hippies that murdered for Manson, or the polyester, vibrant, 70s fashion of Jonestown, or the very pure, white, flowing robes of the Order of the Solar Temple, was the lack of gender. So speaking like a true Gen Z TikTok generation, um, he said, since we are moving into a world that is genderless, we are doing everything that we can do to not identify with gender. Um, Applewhite said this in a training video. Sexual contact was outlawed as the next level was asexual and sex was a very powerful drug, according to Applewhite. So one way to uh, kind of get past this sex being a very powerful drug was castration. What a self-loathing homosexual this guy was. I know. <laughs> I mean, he hated his sexuality that much that he convinced everybody else to chop their nuts off and not have sex. Just, like, go and bang a dude, mate. Like, so, dude. just do yeah. it. Yeah, just <laughs> I mean, do you it. You live in California. <laughs> so Applewhite strived to find a way to have platonic relationship where he could develop his full potential without sexual entanglements. Um, that's what a reporter said. It infiltrated the, the old group in 1975. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so castration, that's what Applewhite believed, could make all of this easier, could facilitate this, this, you know, this full potential that you're seeking. So ultimately, the group instituted a strict no sex, no human level relationships, no socializing rule. Yeah. Uh, Jim Jones did something a little... Not castration, obviously, because Jim Jones was an absolute shagger. But 
he basically he split up marriages. But did did he do that so he could control people and then yeah. also control who he's shagging? Yes. Yeah. He did that. I mean, he had like a baby with one of his like a uh, member of the inner circle. And like that's really the beginning of Jonestown was this the birth of this baby that they'd had. But he would split up couples who'd been together years and say, no, you're going to marry him and her now. And he would like watch over you and control it. I thought Koresh did the same thing. Yeah, I think yeah. he did, didn't he? So the cult did attempt its own castrations, but the first ended up with a trip to the hospital for Stephen McCarter, a.k.a. Sarodi. All the cult members have names that end in O.D. I'm going to do my best to pronounce them, uh, but some of them are just like a bunch of, like, Sarodi is spelled S-R-R-O-D-Y. Sarodi. Yeah, Sarodi. So former cult member Sawyer says that he threw Sarodi's testicles off a pier to get rid of the evidence. <laughs> Nice. After this, the group found doctors to perform the surgery. Eventually, depending on which source you use, between seven and nine of the men in the group were castrated by a Mexican doctor in Mexico City. But most of the men aren't interested in getting the surgery done. Rio D'Angelo said they couldn't stop smiling and giggling. They're really excited about it. Well, it, it is interesting, though, that people had the choice. So men had the choice either to opt in and get the castration or they didn't have to do it, which I'm surprised that uh, Applewhite was cool with that. Yeah. So one member who had the surgery was Jeffrey Howard Lewis, a.k.a. Tassodi. And he's originally from Lubbock in Texas, but he's going to die at the age of 40. So here he is talking about his castration in his exit video. Okay, we have Thursody with us, and I believe that uh, you chose the name Thursody because you want to be reminded of your thirst for next now, next level knowledge. Is that correct? That's right. Um, I know uh, my vehicles or this vehicle that I'm wearing is you know pretty nervous, pretty scared, not really sure what I'm going to say. I guess you know what I wanted to maybe address more was how I feel about this step that I'm taking, and. Some may say, well, boy, it's, it's quite a irreversible step. And I just wanted to say that I'm familiar with the irreversible steps. And tell you what, I don't know if you remember Doe talking about that some students had chosen, had proven to him that they desired to have their vehicles neutered. And I'm one of those students that did that. And I can't tell you how free that has made me feel. I've been here long enough from the time I had that operation to know the freedom that it offers me. And I'm just so thankful for that opportunity. And in all reality, I can't see that this next step that I'm prepared to take and am looking forward to taking is anything more than a clinical operation. And having seen the benefit that the, the neutering has had for my consciousness, for my ability to grow and be closer to my older member, that I can't and full, I can't see any other way but to fully expect that laying down this vehicle. This guy's insane. He well, looks like a cult member. Wouldn't you want to die if you were ballless as well? <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely would. But I mean, you could obviously, you could tell that this guy's never been laid. Or at least maybe once. Yeah. And he has troubles getting laid. So he's like, you know what? Why not chop off my dick? Well, balls. Castration balls. is balls, yeah. So although it is a death cult where you are asked to chop your balls off, it's not a particularly intimidating one. Like you're saying, these people are all, they, they, these people give off a very heavy asexual vibe to me. Well, they look asexual. They, look they all asexual, look the same with but, their shaved heads and. But even before that, button-up shirts. I don't think any of these people were shaggers. 
No. And members are kind of free to come and go as they please. So Raymond Allen Bowers, a.k.a. Tadodi, he's a carpenter, he's a fisherman, he was a father, and he had joined the cult in the 70s. But he's going to leave, and he rejoins in 1994 after his brother drowned and his wife has left him. Another original member was Darwin Lee Johnson, a.k.a. Leodi. He had joined in the 70s, but he had found his way out of the cult and into a Utah rock band called Dharma Combat, and it would have his brother on bass and vocals, and he's going to play guitar. So the band is pretty rocking in a 90s way. I actually enjoyed it way more than what I thought it was going to be. It's not unlistenable. You know, it's, I think it reminds me of Soundgarden, kind of. Uh, no. No, Mother Love Bone. That's Mother kind of, Love Bone, I would go with that. But it had that kind of Seattle yeah. sound. No, early Soundgarden kind of had that similar sound. I'm not a sound. fan of Soundgarden, so yeah. I, don't, I don't want to compare it to that because I don't like Soundgarden. But the other band members are all kind of convinced that they were on the road to stardom. And one day when they're walking down the street in Provo, they noticed a recruitment flyer for Heaven's Gate on a te- telephone pole. So he leaves the next day, leaving behind his job as painting scenery for TVs and movies and TV. All the people who were writing about him said that he was an amazing artist. He left a huge library of mainly UFO and sci-fi books behind, and he took only his favorite guitar. So he doesn't film a final exit video, along with member Joel Peter McCormick, a.k.a. Ave Nodi, and Dana Tracy M. Abrio, a.k.a. Eve Nodi, because they're the ones who are filming people's final goodbyes. And oh, you can okay. hear them. They made the videos. Yeah, and you can hear them asking the questions and such. So there are a few of the members that came and went and then came back, but this leaves the question, right? Why would you die for a cult? And obviously this answer lies with Marshall Applewhite. So I don't subscribe to the idea of mass brainwashing. I think it's a lazy way to explain away cognitive dissonance and the allure of someone who can provide answers for those seeking. So it's not like everyone in the group wasn't educated either. There's valedictorians, class presidents, nurses, a TV reporter, computer network engineers. There's a daughter of a federal judge, a postal worker, a polio survivor. There's housewives, mothers, fathers. The youngest had recently come out in the military where he had served in Operation Desert Storm. To me, they're all really just like a great example of the middle class. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, definitely middle class, maybe upper middle class for some. Most have been recruited from the Western states and from communities that actually supported alternative lifestyles. Most don't give off the appearance that they would join a cuckoo for Copo uh, Pops cult. So once they signed up, they left their past lives behind and the majority of the families actually never had a clue where their family members were. So most of the family realized they were in the cult or they had been in different cults, but they had not had contact with them for years, said Calvin Vine. And he was the official from the medical examiner's office who contacted the family members after the suicides, obviously. Angelo Belize, whose son married a daughter of Jacqueline Opal Leonard, a.k.a. Pasodi, who was 72 when she committed suicide with the group, said... She had just disappeared sometime in the early 70s. She left her husband, left her kids, and just took off. Nobody knew where the hell she went. So what caused these normies to pack their bags and never look back unless it was on a spaceship headed for worlds unknown? Essentially, Marshall Applewhite was selling and they were buying. There was a promise to end suffering, right? It's a promise to end doubt, confusion, and all the other various pains of being a human being. Even if the extraterrestrials weren't involved, he would have found some other means to sell his end of times gospel. And I think that's part of it. I mean, he's a charismatic uh, speaker. 
And right. he was he was telling people things that they wanted to hear. So I read that uh, Benjamin Zeller is a professor of uh, I forget where exactly. I want to say Vassar. Um, I didn't write it down, but he's a professor of new religious movements. He's author of a book called Heaven's Gate: America's UFO Religion. Uh, but in his book, Zeller argues that Heaven's Gate was, wasn't necessarily the crazy aberration it was made out to be, nor was it a suicide cult. It was a group of spiritual seekers who latched onto popular trends in American culture, conspiracy theories, apocalyptic beliefs, the fusion of science and religion, that ultimately resulted in a tragic end. And that's the thing. like These people were doing this on their own accord. Like It wasn't really yeah. brainwashing. I mean, they... Film the videos, they, you know, willingly joined the cult, they shaved their heads, they wore the outfits, they knew what they were doing. Yeah, I find it a bit different to Jonestown because especially Jonestown was like, there was a level of fear. But there was definitely people in Jonestown who were like, I'm going to die for this man. And it wasn't brainwashing. It was they are dying for Jim Jones. I think there is that definitely that intimidation factor. But I think with Jim Jones, they had that like, you know, that, that, a sense like of with community. Hitler's, no, it's that furor contact. It's this feeling of this like intense devotion. Like you're so yeah. enamored with this person. Yeah, and I definitely think that they felt this way for Applewhite. You can tell in the videos whenever he's around, they're all just like beaming at him for some reason. So like I said before, it would take a long running podcast like Heaven's Gate by Glenn Washington to tell the whole story. But so we're going to give it like a, just a little brief snipper, right? So Applewhite's journey to the fringe and beyond began in the early 70s when he was a music professor in Houston. He's a charismatic man. He's just entering his 40s. But he did teach at a very conservative Catholic college. In private, he uses drugs with his neighboring crowd. And although it was the height of the so-called sexual revolution, he found that his own sexuality brought only agony and guilt. He had been married with two kids, but he'd had secret homosexual liaisons for years. And this led to his divorce. And then he moved in with another man. And this is going to follow a period of severe upheaval and personal confusion. This is in the words of the uh, Heaven's Gate uh, Treaty written in 1988, apparently by Applewhite. And this gives the best synopsis of the cult's history and it is posted on the group's website. And the website still exists today. Yes, I don't it's think it's, maintained. They don't update it, yeah. But, it's, but you it, can yeah. email and I've actually bought, I've bought the pamphlet. Um, it's in my storage unit now. Oh, wow. Well, I'll talk about that, that later. Out. So Applewhite, I was reading that he had been fired as a music professor at the University of St. Thomas, this is in 1970, after administrators learned that he had sex with a male student. Yeah. And then uh, he was seeking out cures for his homosexual urges. And like, so they canned him. And he's living with another man, and yeah. you know, he's at a very uptight college. And this is in an apparently radical move to cure himself of his homosexuality. He underwent castration. So there are different sources that say that he got castrated with the other team members, but the majority of the sources are that this is when he first went for his castration, which would make sense and would make sense why he ends up being in the nut house as oh, well. I, yeah, definitely. So this could be seen also as the beginnings as the dogma of rising to the next level where reproductive organs hold you back from your true life form. In 71, he meets Bonnie. They didn't drink, smoke or have sex, but the old programming of their vehicles, as they called them, had to be kept uh, at bay like an annoying puppy, according to the 1988 memoir. They gave away everything except their sports car and they roamed the West Coast, kind of like a modern day Bonnie and ballless Clyde. <laughs> 
They seemed to go just where the spirit led, lacing the country up and down and from side to side as if they were being used as camera and microphones for the next level, says the 1988 document. A jail stint for stolen cars and credit cards, followed by the awakening, where they honed their craft to making others believe that space travel would be in their future. And at its peak in the mid-70s, there was actually around 200 200 members. That's big. Yeah, no, that's huge. Way more than uh, than what happened in the you know the mid nineties. Oh yeah, way uh, more. Many more followers then. But that was the thing, though. Cults, especially sci-fi cults, were kind of at its peak back in the seventies. I mean, Scientology was huge then too. Well, Scientology's even bigger now. I don't think it's bigger. Oh. It's definitely not bigger. Oh. Um, yeah, no, they've they've had a membership crisis too, much like candy corn, oh. um, falling in popularity. So. I know we were saying that at first Snittles and Applewhite didn't exactly click, but they were they kind of bonded over their the fact that they were both experiencing spiritual crises. You know, Nettles was going through a divorce, and Applewhite, you know, an evangelical Christian, you know, just castrated himself. He felt that God was now calling him to a new vocation. Uh, the two became soulmates. I mean, Nettles claimed to be in communication with spirit guides and angels, and she practiced astrology and yoga. Applewhite looked to the, the Bible for answers, particularly the book of Revelation, which foretells the events that will herald the end of the world. So together, they received their own revelation. The Bible, when it talks about God, Jesus, and angels, was actually talking about ETs. He totally was. Oh my God, I see it now. A superior race of aliens who appeared to us as gods. And they both thought this. They both were like had this similar revelation. Could you imagine their conversations over tea? Oh, if you were like sat in the next diner booth to them. <laughs> so in the last days, the aliens will arrive in their spaceships, destroy or recycle, quote unquote, the Earth, and save the faithful who are ready to graduate to the next level. Now, does that sound similar to something? Sounds just like the rapture. It does. But add a few ETs, some UFOs. And a spacecraft. So what Nettle and Applewhite were offering was the ET version of what Christians called the rapture. Yeah. Um, and so the idea, though, of mixing the UFOs religion wasn't new. I mean, it was already popularized by uh, the 1968 book, Chariot of the Gods. And then, as I mentioned before, L. Ron Hubbard also you know, kind of uh, uh, spearheaded that trend. Um, specifically, Nettles and Applewhite thought that they were the two witnesses prophesied in Revelation 11. And they would testify and teach, teach on earth before the final judgment. And according to the prophecy, the witnesses would then be killed and resurrected. Right, so they're going to survive, but no one else will. But they, were, they right. weren't going to, you know, Zeller, who, uh, who the uh, scholar who wrote the book, um, said they, they weren't going to be resurrected by magic or, or, or miracle, but by extraterrestrial technology. <laughs> so when the Bible referred to Jesus ascending to heaven in a cloud, Nettles and Appoid knew that the cloud was a UFO. Oh, and right. the UFOs were their salvation. So by 1975, um, which is interesting about, about these two, Nettles and Applewhite were like fixtures of that alternative spirituality scene in California and Oregon. Of course. They even had a New Age store. Yeah. And they began offering classes where they would share their message. Like this earthly life was an intermediate realm where we learned to battle evil, the bad aliens, the Luciferians, and then transcend our human bodies and transform into perfected beings. 
These people aren't even taking the good drugs either. No, they weren't even taking this drugs. This is just like people raw dogging life and this is their ideas. <laughs> no, I mean, this is just, they were in, just insane. Like they were lunatics um, that really fully believed in aliens and God. So they never actually called themselves Heaven's Gate. The group's name for themselves was was the crew. Then it became the class. Yeah. And Nettles and Applewhite were seen as teachers and their followers were students. And to this day, ex-members, like survivors, still call each other classmates. Weird. Isn't that weird? It is weird. Yeah, it's weird. So before we said 1985, Bonnie dies of cancer. And with her, the cult should have died. As she's the actual original leader and people looked up to her for answers, including uh, Applewhite. She was the leader and he was the student. So like a matriarchy. Yeah. Her vehicle was over. She didn't make it to a spacecraft. We were all devastated, mostly of all Doe, recalls Frank Lyford, and he's a former uh, member known as Andodi. How did this happen? This wasn't supposed to happen. We're all supposed to graduate together. So to get around this pesky little detail, Applewhite announced that death was actually necessary now for the alien transformation. Their souls and not their bodies are going to evolve into alien beings, and in doing so, a death cult is born. Bonnie hadn't simply died. She had been reborn. She's waiting for them on the craft. And it's around this time that the group was becoming very biblical in its outlook. He declared himself Jesus, returned to earth, and Bonnie slash T as God the Father. He even had a marriage ceremony with all his members where they all wore a simple gold band that was worth 100 bucks, which they all, you can see in the, the video death tapes. So wait, they mar- he married all the members? He married all the members. But he didn't consummate the marriage. Well, no, they don't. But it was the- they're all married. So the cult fell to a few dozen members. And by 92, 1992, it reemerged with a videotape called Beyond Human. You can watch this all on YouTube. And next year, it put a one-third advert in USA Today entitled UFO Cult Reemerges with a Final Offer. Uh, we should find that copy of that USA Today. It'd be cool to own. <laughs> The website, like their uniforms, are as depressingly traditional and puritanical, but you know, it's hidden behind something seemingly modern. So we've got this constant tension between isolation and the hyper-awareness of modern culture and technology, which is what I think makes Heaven's Gate so fucking fascinating. They were the first internet cult. So in some ways, cyberspace is the perfect place for these dead cult members to survive on. There's obsession, delusion, and mass suicide. It all plays out in multimedia. We can all observe it online. The Heaven's Gate religion and idea of a processed life, a higher unknown existence. Being online is basically an extension of the self. It's like a cyborg. So the group were web designers. They ran a firm called Higher Source and they were versed in Higher Source computer programming. So they knew Java, Visual Basics, um, SQL. SQL. SQL, I don't know this, and C++. For the nerds out there, do you know all of them? Could you use them all? I only know Java. I know how to do Java and know some SQL, but I mean, I know of Basic and C++. I don't even think people really do C++ anymore. Probably but not. At the time, though, I mean, this is very progressive. I mean, they were far superior to a lot of people. I mean, I, the internet was such a new emergent technology. A lot of people didn't even know basic coding. They would have loved point. MySpace. Their MySpace page would have been the fucking best. I only know Java because of MySpace. <laughs> So they also implemented intranets on their website, said we're proficient with Windows 95, NT, Novel Netware, and Unix, to name a few. They did system analysis, and they developed multimedia applications. They're a one-stop shop. 
of their graphic design, they promised higher sauce can go from cool to corporate like a chameleon. Like they were getting in at the right time, though, because totally. I ma- imagine if they stuck with that and just built into, you know, built their uh, their business up to being just like web design and and we'll build your website for you. I bet you they would have been huge. They would have made tons of bank. Yeah. So by the early 90s, Applewhite had posted his first online writings. So, I mean, once again, like an early adopter of technology. Uh, he was the first to use Usenet message boards and eventually on their own website uh, that they called Heaven's Gate. And the response was uniformly <laughs> negative, <laughs> which doesn't make, me, doesn't make me like that surprised because, I mean, the Internet's full of trolls. So could you imagine this guy saying, the Earth's going to be recycled. We got to get a spaceship and just the trolls. Oh, in the early days of the Internet as well, when it was unpoliced. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I oh, mean, God. There's so no much mods. fun. I could just imagine what they were saying to him. So this uniformly negative response led Applewhite and the other members to slowly give up on convincing the rest of the world to prepare for the Earth's impending recycling. He was just kind of like after like spending a, you know, a couple days just kind of going through all the feedback he was getting from the trolls. He's like, fuck these people. They can all die. I don't care. It's like the episode of The Office where they, you know, it's towards the end of the series and they see the trailers for The Office is appearing on YouTube and Andy sits on all day arguing with everyone. (laughs) It's just like that. I can see that. So mostly in their 40s, the Heaven's Gate cult members were of the baby boomer generation and they're responsible responsible for the PC revolution of the 1980s. And then, then that gravitated to the net in the early 1990s. And they did recruit through their fantastic and very advanced for the time, but it's now Space Age website, which is still maintained, but it's not updated by former members to this day. Higher Source is long gone, but you can like see it through the Internet archives. But then Higher Source, they all, they all commit suicide. So yeah, the services <laughs> aren't needed anymore. So wait, does it look like a GeoCities website? It does, but more... better a little more advanced it's great it's fantastic 39 year old postal worker and mother of five and sci-fi buff Yvonne McCurdy Hill aka Devody she discovered the website and after a slew of emails and communications with them she left her old world to be with them so on her exit tape speaking of the outside world she says there is nothing uh, for me here six months after joining the cult she's dead (laughs) she fell in hard the suicides were yet another warning sign to the Puritans that the internet was indeed rotten.com evil. In Deaths in the Family on Hotwired, uh, John Katz said in a March 1997 article, the killings gave our fearful guardians in politics and mainstream media yet another new net phobia to warn America about. Cultists uh, momentarily pushed aside pornographers as the demonic and threatening offspring of new technology. The internet, just last week, an interstate highway for perverts, was transformed for a few days into a natural <laughs> breeding ground for fanatics and zealots. The internet has not changed. I was about to say, they still think, that they still accuse the internet of being this. And as I've been saying, Heaven's Gate lives on in all its multimedia maniacal forms. In his final videotaped message, which is actually an over an, over an hour long compared to the five minutes the other group members got, Applewhite warned with very wide eyes, your only chance to evacuate is to leave with us. Planet Earth is about to be recycled. And, you know, all the cultists, they taped um, their exit statements. They're all cheerful. They're all giddy. They're all smiling and cracking jokes. One OD stated, it's just the happiest day of my life. 
Well, that's the thing. You know, they weren't being forced to do this. No, they're they all agreed to They weren't brainwashed, being forced to do this. I mean, this is free will. They were doing this on their own accord, unlike some people in Jonestown. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> we'll never know how many people were murdered in Jonestown, but we do know that all the children were murdered in Jonestown. Yeah, definitely. Yes. But I mean, these people willingly, you know, committed suicide. And the stunned rest of the world was left with hours of these video recordings, which you can find, you know, on YouTube. Uh, but there's hours of video recordings by Applewhite and extensive writing on the group's website, including a page titled Our Position Against Suicide. Suicide, yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, the group concluded that the true meaning of suicide is to turn against the next level when it's being offered to you. Yeah. That's suicide. When the kingdom of heaven is offered to you, you need to take it. Oh, so Which it, is what they did. It's like saying, oh, a, a cheeky little suicide's all right. A cheeky yeah. little dash of suicide is fine to do. Well, they're saying suicide is, is not going to heaven when it's offered to you. Yeah. Like when God comes down in his spaceship and offers you a chance to go live an eternal life up there as a whatever, an angel in Nike shoes, you need to take it. If you don't, you're committing suicide. <laughs> they kind of flip the definition. But yeah, I mean, you can't call it brainwashing when someone's doing this on their own free will. They weren't then, brainwashed. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe they were all happy to exit their vehicles. Doe wasn't the last to die. He went down with his crew in the second act, but he was the last body to be found all alone in the master bedroom. And if he was right, the 38 crew members have joined him and T within Heaven's Gate and they're now flying high throughout the universe as new age genderless angels that don't feel pleasure or pain and are free to rewatch reruns of old Star Trek episodes, but hopefully the bandwidth reaches that high into space. We'll never know. Most of us do know, though, that suicide is a biological solution to a biological problem and no reports of spaceships came from those three days in Rancho Santa Fe. No one rose from the dead and the bodies of the deceased were sent across America to be with their families one last time. But it is important to note, though, that Heaven's Gate, they weren't wrong and they're not even doing anything wrong by asking the ultimate cosmic question because who hasn't looked up to the night sky and said, like, are we alone? Do you believe? Like, are they out there? This is a question that former members of the cult who survived still struggle with, and they're left with a feeling of being left behind. So uh, Rio D'Angelo says that he sometimes feels the presence of T and Doe. Mostly it's just feeling. I don't get words, but mostly it's just feeling. I'm a regular guy. I'm trying to be more of myself and a better person in every way I can. So Sawyer, um, people who are like well-informed of Heaven's Gate will recognize Sawyer. He's on, he's in all the documentaries. He's an absolute nut job. I would love to talk to Sawyer. Um, he was actually thrown out of the cult because he wanked to MTV. <laughs> Wait, while at the Heaven's Gate house? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Applewhite threw him out. So dis- despite Sawyer's departure from the group, which saved him from participating in the mass suicide because it was in 1997 he got kicked out of the group, the former Heaven's Gate member remains loyal to the group's teachings. He said, I don't feel guilt. I feel like I flunked my test. I could have graduated them. I had the capacity to do that. I believe that 100%. His YouTube channel is as nuts as you would imagine it would be. I'm going to have to check that out. I've reached out to Rio D'Angelo several times. Oh, have you? Yeah. and He seems to be the most sane. He responded saying he was just unwilling to do podcast interviews at the time. I get that. But I've never actually reached out to to. Oh, uh, we should Sawyer. get Sawyer on the show. We definitely should. He I'm going to have to try a, that. That would be amazing. A character. Yeah, no, this guy definitely is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. 
So Mark and Sarah King, they're the couple that maintain the website. They said they are not resentful at being left behind and unable to evolve to the next level. They said, we didn't have any of those feelings. That would be a very human response. Don't worry, we will be taken care of. And like you said, the website now takes an anti-suicide. Yeah, it's a suicide. Yeah, it's not a suicide stance. They flipped it. They twisted <laughs> it around. So today we can kind of view his follow, like Apple White's followers, less as flesh and blood people with whom we actually might feel a sympathetic, like human connection, than as representatives of dangerous cults, as signs of the coming millennium. They're cyber aliens. Yeah, they they have become cyber aliens. So one interesting fact here is, so 39 people died. Their family members are estranged. Who's covering the cost of the funeral? At California. Well, no, all the family members were flown back home. But to do all this, but to do all that money. and to clean the corpses and or to, to you know to to take the corpses you know to be examined and yeah, and, and clean the house and everything like that. It, it costs a lot of money, and it was Rancho Santa Fe County that paid for it. So the county had to recover the cost of handling the cult's estate, which it ultimately took over, and also find a way to cover the cult members' families. $130,000 worth of, pl- of claims filed against the estate for funeral, uh, burial, and other expenses. But when the county tried to do that by auctioning off the cult's belongings, the move was blocked by Mark and Sarah King. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they filed a, a lawsuit in probate court to take possession of the cult's artwork and intellectual property. But the county ended up winning that legal battle. And the cult's more or less mundane items like bunk beds and TV sets. And they really like didn't that. have much. Yeah, yeah. were sold in no- November 1999 at one of the most globally newsworthy memorabilia auctions ever. I fucking wish I could have gone to that. But you know what everyone really wants, and it was obviously they were all thrown away in the morticians, is the uniforms. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, and the shoes. Well, I imagine they were maybe sent home with the bodies. Well, the guy that runs the Museum of Death uh-huh. went to that auction. And yeah. he scored. Like, if you go over to the Museum of Death, which, you know, shout out. they that I forget the guy's name that owns that place, but he we interviewed him years ago. Um, but they were at their old location in Hollywood. Which is also where Jonestown recorded yeah, the, the, rec- jo- the, the recording people studio. Temples yeah, choir. yeah, People's yeah. Temple Choir. Um, but now they shut down kind of before the pandemic, and they just reopened on Selma Street. I actually haven't been to the new location. We should gonna, go this we're weekend. We're going to do that. Maybe we'll do, do that tomorrow. Weekend. Yeah, we'll have yeah. to look into it. But anyway, he had a whole room with the bunk beds and the TV. The, I think he got the original TV. Oh, the 72-inch. Yeah, and awesome. he had like videotapes just constantly playing Apple White, giving his speeches. And that's what Apple White wants. And that's what I've done all this week. I've watched so much Apple White, and he is... He's a lunatic. He's oh. not for me. No, he's, he's not my cult learning. leader. He's not sexy daddy Jimmy he's like, Jones. He reminds me of like kind of like a Steve Jobs-esque cult leader. Yeah. I don't like the cult leaders where they're, they're trying to be like overly, I'm doing this for your own good, sweetheart. Sit down. I don't like that. I like them to have a bit more fire and passion like David Koresh or like Jim Jones, where it's like, you, you could possibly shag me. <laughs> Right? <laughs> you like the uh, the sexy cult leaders. You're, you're just not attracted to Appleway. I'm not. I think that's the problem. He's ballless. But know? I do think people, you should go check it out, learn more about Heaven's Gate, especially if you, you know, never actually experienced it. But you should go on, uh, go on YouTube and watch some of these videos. Oh, yeah. Um, they're just whacked. Watch the exit videos. That was definitely, I think, the best. I've seen, because I've seen the exit videos. We, I think we've all seen them in, our, in you know, true crime internet searches. But it's, it's, 
yeah, it was just a bit different this time when I was like really listening to what they were saying as opposed to just thinking they're crazy. I was like, fuck, yeah. These Definitely people- more, one of the more original cults. Totally. Uh, this is episode 919 here, Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next. 323-522-4032 is that number. Uh, but first, here's a quick message from Adam and Eve. It's Butt Plug Month on AdamandEve.com. Show that you still care by bringing something new into the bedroom. And by something new, I mean a butt plug. Because if you order right now and use coupon code DIDDLE, you get 50% off your first item, a gift so sensual I can't even tell you about it on this podcast that talks about murder and bukkake, and on top of all of that, free shipping. Support Sick and Wrong by supporting our sponsor, adamandeve.com, and making a purchase with coupon code DIDDLE. That's D-I-D-D-L-E. So we got a couple phone calls here. Um, that we're going to get to. Uh, the first call actually is from a uh, listener who hasn't called us in a long time. Um, he, he's been listening to the show for a while. He's been listening to the, over a decade. Holy shit. Um, but he hasn't actually called in for a few years. So uh, he's calling to weigh in on last week's episode. All right. What's up, D? What's up, Kate? This is Christian from Miami. I hope you're both doing well. D, I don't know Christian's if you remember later. me, but... You know, I remember when this guy called in, we kept calling him, this is Christian Slater. He's Pop Christian up the Slater. Volume. Hey, guys. He Does just he, sound like he him. He sounds just like Christian Slater. Oh, my God. I love your work in Heathers, Christian Slater. <laughs> called over two years ago. It was quite a while. Uh, you and Harrison made fun of me, actually. Particularly my voice, yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you sound just like Christian Slater. I thought he was Christian Slater. <laughs> Well, that's what we're calling him. But um, I loved every second of it. I love you both. And I just wanted to comment on last week's episode. You know, it was very nice of you guys to try to quote contact Harrison. (laughs) Honestly, I think the medium was full of shit. I don't think she actually saw nor heard Harrison, but for a moment... No, not at all. But she was so much fun. But it was an amazing bit. She was great. She was fantastic. She was great. I just thought it was a it was, it was fun. A, kind of a funny Halloween themed idea. You know, have an online seance and see if we can contact who else would we contact? Harrison and Bob. Yeah. You know. But I, I don't believe in any of these things before. I mean we we had the the, the, the ones on that contact our dead dads. Oh, that was so, I love that episode, the Dead Dodds Club. And episode five hundred of Sick and Wrong, Lance's final episode, we had another medium on to contact Bob. Oh my god, amazing. Yeah. And she was actually great too, but it was the same kind of thing. Like it was the same like I'm smelling something. Did did he drink alcohol? And then it's like <laughs> Oh Yo, yeah. yeah, he he loved beer. She's like, I'm, that's what I'm smelling. I'm smelling beer. Yeah. Because you say things and then, you know, and, and you just kind of, they can build on from that. Though, I think Patty was a little more legit than the other one that we had. I really want to go to a real life seance with Patty. She was I'll just, just, I just, she was fab. Much like Christian Slater, I don't believe in any of that malarkey. Yeah, me either, <laughs> but it's fun. No, it was, it was a good time. And I also kind of, I mean, even though I don't believe in any of it, Harrison did never had a chance to say goodbye. So it was Harrison's chance to say and goodbye. And I was hoping this was his opportunity to say goodbye to the audience. Well, for people who've never listened, like uh, Harrison was the other. So there's been three co-hosts of this show. You've been doing it for a million years. There was first Wackily, did it for a decade. Then there was Harrison, and then Harrison left, and now it's me. Yeah. Yeah. 
indulged in the fantasy that he was back with you in that same room with you, D. And um, just grinning with happiness. To be- I don't know how happy he would have been about oh, me asking about feathers hate. in heaven. And, yeah, <laughs> and about him. Again, what's his name? The song. Oh, uh, uh, Smash Mouth. Smash Mouth, yes. Which members of the Discord will uh, will resonate with that. I think I mentioned it on the show, though, when we were talking about it. Like, if after I asked her about the feathers in heaven, if all of a sudden the like shit started shaking on her desk and she was like, Push back into the wall. Wouldn't you have been like, holy shit, maybe this is real? Yeah, then I would have been, I'm a believer. Harrison's pissed. Close the door. Get rid of him. Yeah, close the door. Yeah. It smells like cigarettes and BO. <laughs> On the show. For a moment, I just imagined that. And it was nice. Um, I think we all miss him. We all do. But that's not to diminish the work that Kate has done on the show. Kate, you don't know me. It's a pleasure to meet you. I uh, just want to say that uh, you're a great addition to the show. Kate Rambo. I don't know why you put the emphasis on the last syllable, but I like it. And you're a great addition to the show. You really are. You compliment Dee in a great way. Aww. A lot has happened since I last called. And I joined the fucking army, if you can believe that. What? And that sucks. Whoa. But, uh, hey, I just wanted to call or send a message and say that uh, thank you for what you do. I've been listening to you for a long time, over 10 years now, and I will listen to you for 10 more. Aww. I love you guys. Peace out. What a sweetheart. Now, what what are an you uplifting doing? phone call. What are you doing in the army, you sweetheart? <laughs> yeah, I want to I wanna hear some army stories. What's going oh, on, totally. dude? Why'd you join the army? Did they ship you out somewhere? Yeah, wh- like what's you your job like, in the yeah. army? Like, are you, are you like, in Europe? Did they send you to the Middle East? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, I definitely want to hear some army stories. But thank you, Christian. Good to, good to hear from you. It's good to hear that Christian Slater voice. He's great. And by the way, so, like, obviously Rambo, I put the emphasis on the end because I'm Northern and we elongate our vowels. But people never get where my stage name is from, and it's from uh, Rock and Roll High School. Oh, yeah, the Ramones sing uh, song. So yeah, she's not the main chick. She's the nerdy hot side chick, uh, Kate Rambo, and obviously the Rambo, the poet as well. So I just thought it was a good stage name, and I took it. And what bands. about John Rambo? And obviously, I love the Rambo movies. Of course, he couldn't even get a job parking cars. Like it was, <laughs> it's great, and I especially love the. Was it the last Rambo that was super super racist? Was that the one? No, wait. There was one that was racist when uh, he went to like back to Vietnam. Nam, that's but the... then there was another one that was also racist where he fought the drug cartels. Yeah. I didn't enjoy the Mexican one as much, oh, but the, v- the Vietnam one, I was in, I saw that in the cinema and I was cry laughing. It's just oh, that one, is great. one of the most racist and amazing films I've ever seen. <laughs> So much well, thank fun. you, Christian. Uh, next call we have here is I mean, you'll you'll remember this guy when you hear his voice, but he would call in and tell us about his uh, dating app mishaps. Oh, this guy, yeah, yeah. I remember him. The Kernan, what up? Yeah, I guess you guys like when I call in and tell my internet dating stories. I guess I got another one for you. Um, let's see. I was talking to this chick on OK Cupid. And, uh, yeah, we're talking, but I, I'm looking at her profile, and, dude, she's like a, a hippie, like a, like a real serious hippie. And I, I 
fucking hate hippies, man. Yeah. But I don't know. She's real into me for some reason, which is weird because I'm pretty much like a Nazi or something. But um, <laughs> I guess I keep that close to the vest. Anyway. Yeah, he doesn't have like uh, pictures I, pictures on his Tinder profile of him zig high like yeah, just in the back there's just, a copy just calmly reading Mind Cup. <laughs> yeah, there's a copy of Mind Cup in the background. Uh, this guy's great. I totally would have found him on OK Cupid and been like, hey, you're, I like the Nazis too. Yeah, that would have worked for Kate. <laughs> I'm looking at her profile and I'm like, I don't know. I guess she shaves her armpits. I can kind of see from one picture, and then I, I see this other. <laughs> I like how that's what he's looking for. Lisa, Did she shave hi- those pits? She's a hippie, though, but yeah, she could be a hippie who takes care of herself. Sure, and I'm like, okay, I can see her legs. And so she's clearly shaving her legs, so I, I guess there's a, a pretty good chance her her vagina is like in an acceptable state. You know what I mean? <laughs> I want to know what the I bet the acceptable state for him is the little Hitler mustache. Oh yeah, that's what he wants totally. <laughs> I love a full bush on a man and a woman. I think it depends. Like I, I don't know if I'm full into wolf pussy where it's just like coming out of the panties and just like going down the leg. A little bit of trimming. Something kind of horny about that to me. A little bit I of like trimming, it. I think, is in order for both sexes. Uh, there's nothing worse than when you're hooking up with a chick and you're trying to find her vagina and it, it, it's like looking for Santa Claus's mouth. You know what I mean? Looking for Santa's mouth. I, I was like, okay, this is probably fine. So I, I go out with her. We go out, have some drinks. We go back to my house and then we I raw dog her on my couch. You know, this guy does score a he lot. He scores all the time. I like how he's just like, fat chick, take her out. Hippie chick, take her out. And yeah, he's no, like getting he, fucking blowies and everything. But he's successful. That's what I'm th- nothing venture, nothing gained. He's, he's got game. Yeah, yeah. It turns out hippies are fucking huge, gigantic sluts. Yeah. So, who knew, right? I mean, okay. <laughs> Makes sense, I guess. But uh, anyway, so I start banging this chick. She's like... She's coming over every day. We just bang on my couch and everything. It's fine. And then uh, after a week, we're sitting there and she's talking. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm taking these uh, classes, uh, uh, massage therapy classes. I'm trying to get my massage license. I just need more practice. And she goes, uh, oh, maybe I bring my massage table over here. So I'm like, oh, yeah. And I make this dumb joke. I'm like, yeah, then maybe you could give me a happy ending. (laughs) Be hard not to make a joke about that. I'd be like, baby, I've got some econ massage right now. <laughs> um, that's kind of a that's kind of a score. This it's guy's like a total star. He's got she's, a chick. He she's coming over. He's banging her all the time. A hippie and she's flat. not too hippie if she's shaving her legs. Like I remember, I met a girl on the train back from Chicago back to Ann Arbor when I was in college. She was a hippie. Like she had dreads. Yeah, and. Uh, Definitely buckwheat and a headlock going on in those armpits. <laughs> like she was, she was definitely, she was definitely a hippie. She was cool though. She had a whole bag of joints, and we got super stoned. And uh, she also had beers. And, and uh, how full was her bush? Very full. Like she was, she was definitely a hippie. Was it but like the, finding Santa Claus's mouth? <laughs> the thing is with her, I remember because we only hooked up once. Because I went back to her house 
and her place was just like, it smelled like patchouli. I hate that smell. It's, it was a gross smell. There are tons of cats, like must have been like six cats. I didn't notice this when we were getting drunk and high on the train, but I noticed this when we got back to her place. She had a rotten tooth. Like the one, one tooth was just brown. Ooh. Yeah, and she smelled like bologna. Oh. Her whole place smelled like baloney. Her clothes smelled like baloney. That's weird. She didn't really, sh- like, she said she didn't like to shower that much and use soap, so she used this crystal deodorant thing. So, she just smelled like fucking baloney. You know how you don't have an olfactory sense? I did back then. I bet she absolutely fucking reeked and you just didn't know. No, I did back then. Oh, is this before you had cats? Yeah, it's when I started having cats is yeah. when I just lost my sense of smell. I think it's just part of the allergic reaction now back then i could smell and it fucking smelled like baloney it was gross you know i've always wondered this about hippies like they always have that same wall hanging you know that fabric cloth and it's got like a circle on it and it's tie-dyed you know what i mean every hippie in the world has that on one wall like why i can't quite remember i do know we're listening to the grateful dead though oh my god yeah okay i get it and a rotten tooth and then, guys, she gets, like, fucking pissed. She, She's, like, super offended by my... By the happy ending joke? happy ending joke. She and better what? get used to that. I'm like, seriously, lady? This is offending you? Do I have to remind you that you showed up today at my house with not one, but two different butt plugs? You brought two butt plugs over to my house. A regular one and a backup butt plug. And last night, I fucking blew a load that was on your face. Mostly on your face. And and this was your request, not mine. And you're fucking, you're, you're like delicate sensibilities about my hand job joke? I can't believe the hand job joke was was like the, the, the straw, the straw. That broke yeah the like the, that was the line that was like the line of demarcation right there and he stepped beyond it with a handy joke i like how he's naming all the the sexy things she made him do a woman like who, she was stood over him going you're gonna fucking come in my face aren't you you fucking dick and he's like yeah yeah i'm gonna do it i'll do it for you I gotta say, I agree with him completely here, though. A woman who carries butt plugs with her, she transports the butt plugs to a dude's home that she's shagging, should not be offended by a fucking handjob joke. I think if she's getting offended by a happy ending joke while she's a masseuse, she is in the wrong career because from now on, she has to face everyone making it. I would make that joke if I was her friend. I'd be like, how much do you do happy endings for her? I'm surprised like, that in massage school, they don't have a class where you learn how, how to, to give a, a proper happy, happy ending. ending. Yeah. Yeah, or how to properly end a massage, if you know what I mean. Hey. <laughs> D, tell tell me about hippies, man. I I know you got into this nonsense when you were up in San Francisco. You probably uh, banged a lot of these hairy beasts. Is is this like a feminism thing? Why is she bad at my fucking uh, hand job joke? This is like feminism. She's no, or she's a I cunt. Insult? Like, why is she mad? I don't fucking get it. Anyways, so I keep banging this chick. I I don't know. I'm kind of sick of her. What do you think? I mean, I feel like, you know, it's a slippery slope here. You made one joke that offended her and she got pissed. Now you're just going to be making, like, every other joke. You're going to be wondering, should I say this? 
You'll be walking kind of on eggshells about what you could say. You're going to piss her off and she's going to like end up like not coming over again. I don't think she will come over again. However, now. why not bang her till you find another one? Yeah, till you find another yeah. hippie. Didn't you shag a girl that had a vegan tattoo that was spelled out, spelled out the word vegan in fruits and She veg? wasn't hippie. She was very punk rock. Oh, right. That's um, a bit of a hippie tattoo to have for a punk rock chick. She was vegan. She was a very proud vegan. But she had... You know, you know how like Tupac had Thug Life, like a Thug Life tattoo above his like groin, I guess, or his lower abdomen. She had the same style of tattoo, but it said "vegan" spelled out in like vegetable letters. Oh my god! Like, it was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever seen. I remember going down on her, being like, "Does your tattoo say vegan?" She's like, "Oh yeah, I just got it last week," and she, and I'm like, "Okay." I'm going to kind of ignore that while I try to find Santa Claus' mouth in here. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't She wasn't a, a vegan, or she wasn't a hippie. She was more of a punk rock chick. Like, she had, like, like shaved hair on one side and really long red hair covered in tattoos, but mostly vegan-themed tattoos. Oh, my God. She was one of the most self-righteous people I think I ever, ever banged. banged. And, me and me and JoJo are actually, like, Eskimo brothers here. Wait, did Georgia bang the vegan chick too? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh we my god, did. I never Years did. later though. Oh right, yeah. I think yeah. I did know you were Eskimo brothers. I'm pretty brothers. sure he banged her. I can't remember. I know they, they met on like a dating app, but years at like five or six years after I dated her. Right. I mean JoJo's the person really to ask about hippie chicks and shagging them, I guess. I mean, I shagged a lot of hippie chicks in, in college. In Ann Arbor, there are a ton. And definitely in San Francisco, I shagged quite a few. But the thing is with San Francisco, there's Hippie chicks listening to Grateful Dead, Patchouli, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But then there's the Burning Man chicks who right. are also like neo hippies. And they were also in LA too. Yeah, and that's an L that's a California thing. So I probably have banged way more like neo hippie Burning Man chicks. Than traditional than hippies. Than traditional hippies. And the one thing I like this girl is bringing over butt plugs, letting you blow her your load in your mouth. A lot of those are that's why I'm surprised that she has such a a thin skin with a happy ending joke. But a lot of those girls are definitely open. To like you know, weird sexual fetish types type shit, and open to do to doing you know things beyond I think the typical the typical girl would be willing to do. Case in point, we had this one hippie chick on our show. God, me and Wackley interviewed her. She was a Burning Man chick. We we were going off on Burning Man, and we interviewed her on the show because she had just met this new guy. You can go back. I forget what number. It was probably in the two hundreds. I would say probably in the 200s. Somebody on the Discord will let someone us know. Will, someone will probably yeah. know. Um, we were interviewing this girl, and she just met this new guy. And his thing was, when she was taking a shit, he would put his face in between her thighs while she was on the toilet shitting and just whack it. Just wink. Have a wink. Just masturbate while she was shitting, and he would just be sniffing it. Oh, right. I was about to say, because she would have to sit so back on the toilet that the shit wouldn't get in the bowl but if she's if he's just no, wanting she would to spread smell her, it spread her legs and he'd just put his face like in right, between yeah. looking and smelling and that must have been that. awkward the first i bet you would get shit shy the first couple of times you'd do that we were asking her about that but that's what i'm saying she's a she was a hippie burning man chick and she was definitely open open to exploring sexuality shit shows yeah an so, actual shit show so that's what so Dude, I think, you know, dating a hippie chick, you're not going to go wrong. I think the fact that she was shaving her legs, that's a plus. 
Because a lot of them do not shave their legs. She, I wonder if she's like, because it is a very trendy thing at the minute to dress like all 1970s Stevie Nicks. And there's a lot of revival like 70s companies. So I wonder if she's like, looks like a hippie, but isn't actually a hippie. Because I mean, a hippie wouldn't care about a happy ending, man. A hippie would be like, sure, if it makes you feel good. I yeah. think if I was this guy, I would continue banging her till she gets so annoyed with me and my jokes that she would just stops coming over. Yeah, that would be really quickly with you. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't take long. <laughs> People, you can call the Sigmaron hotline at 323-522-4032 or just send us a, an MP3 at sigmaronpodcastgmail.com. Uh, once again, thanks to all the listeners who support us on Patreon um, and on Apple Podcasts. We do appreciate you uh, contributing to the show. Uh, you know, it's it's... It's not cheap. The to, show to only continues podcast, on you know? because those people. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, give us some money and just uh, keep keep this going. You know, we appreciate you keeping it sick and wrong every week. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Um, also, if you want to go buy some merch, we do have some, uh, a, 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 I don't know, like a cornucopia of sick and wrong tees and uh, various designs. Not, not to mention other bric-a-brac at the sick and wrong stores. So just go to sick and slash shop and uh, click on the picture of the Pope. Finally here, Sigurong Song of the Week. So we were talking about a uh, Heaven's Gate member who, who did commit suicide, Darwin Lee Johnson's band, Dharma Combat. Yeah. And Kate actually found the one video that exists of his band. And I think they're like recording in the studio, but it's like- It is the, from the studio. It's two songs, uh, Meslim and Wicked World, like back to back. Too long to play them both, but I'm going to try to like cut it down so we can play Meslim, whatever that means. Um, the the first track or the first song here. Um, I looked up the term Meslim, and apparently that was an occult magazine. Oh, cool! Yeah, back in the day. Oh, we practical magic for, for today. I would have looked for that on eBay. Yeah, Meslim, an occult magazine. Um, but this video is this video is great, and you know, this dude, this dude's band could have probably went somewhere. I think so too. You know, I, I mean, think... it didn't sound unlike like all those other Seattle bands that were there at the time. And they're from Utah, close, you know, pretty much on the West Coast. I was, when I found it, I was expecting to absolutely hate it. And I was just like, you know what? This isn't that bad at all. And all their lyrics are about like aliens and UFOs and stuff. Yeah, it's all about like alien, like sci-fi themes. But Darwin Johnson, you know, he joined the cult in the 70s. Yeah. And, and uh, he believed in UFOs, space aliens, was super into it. But then... He, they didn't kick him out, but they kind of asked him to leave because he wasn't fully learning. Yeah, I think he was the still precepts of, uh, of Marshall Applewhite. Yeah. yeah, and so that's when he moved back to Utah. You know, did this whole band Dharma Combat, but then he went back in 1994. He saw an ad for Heaven's Gate at a seminar, and he disappeared two days later. And um, yeah, Dharma Combat's uh, producer at the time, Joe Clark, explained that Johnson had always felt bad about being removed from the group because he couldn't measure up to their standards, so he wanted to join them. Yeah, poor guy. Poor guy goes back and uh, ends up uh, killing himself. I wonder if he cut his balls off. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to find out the list of who did or did not, but we'll never know. We'll never know. Anyway, we're going to end the show here. Uh, with uh, Dharma Combat doing a song called Meslem. People will be back next week with episode uh, 920. Till then, take it sleazy.
skeptical as anything could be, and it didn't feel like Tiendo were anything special, except Tiendo said that they had a formula of how to get out of the human kingdom to a level above human. And I said to myself, that's what I want. That's what I've been looking for. I don't care if this is, um, you know, maybe they're crazy for all I know, but I don't have any choice but to go for it because I've been on this planet for 31 years and there's nothing here for me. And they were saying to the person I was with that they felt the last final ingredient would be for the vehicles to be dead, be, you know, what humans call dead. And so I said to myself, great, you know, if that's what it takes, that's better than being around here with absolutely nothing to do.